Welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast episode, what we say, volume what, what 2.0 for, for June. This is our second. Uh, yep. Second among many, because I have another one tonight right after this. Uh, but tonight is, is kind of cool. Um, we have Manit, and I'll, I'll allow him to introduce himself. Uh, he's from the UK, and I'm super shocked that we haven't ran into each other before, but this is a great opportunity for me. Um, so we'll start with a little bit of news. Um, things are looking good on the speaking front and the charity front, the nonprofit that we have going, the Hacker for Vets, um, is really going well. Um, this glorious beard will get shaved off in November <laughs> if we hit $300,000. So go donate if you want to see this chopped off. Um, other than that, not a whole lot of, of huge news in the cyber arena. Um, I know our American listeners are probably dealing with the blowback from the recent uh, decision on Roe versus Wade today, which I think is a very Definitely. sad day. Definitely a sad day for the U.S., um, and our government, I think it's it's wrong, uh, but we all know my opinion on that. Um, so, without further ado, I'll turn it over to Manit. Manit, please share who you are and your journey into cyber. So, hey everyone, I'm Manit Saib. I'm a red teamer and a social engineer. My background is the former red team lead for the UK Central Bank, where I use defensive techniques to protect the UK's payment and gold systems. I'm now the Director of Global Intelligence at Picnic Security, um, a company looking to address the issue of social engineering attacks. So watch this space. Um, I have a whole list of certifications. <laughs> I won't get into all of them, but I'm certified by the UK's uh, Cyber Security Center, as well as Her Majesty's CESG check scheme. Um, and I hold like private certifications, including OSCP and CREST. Um, I've spoken at a number of events, including central banking. Uh, so my background is, you know, financial sector as well. So spoken at a number of central banking con conferences and also universities. I was shortlisted for Cyber Personality of the Year last year, uh, 2021, by Cybersecurity Awards and nominated Best Security Team in Europe in 2019 by SC Awards. That's me in a nutshell. That's that, that's a that's awesome. a very large nutshell, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up some things that, that we'll definitely touch on, um, the CREST certification and, and all that stuff. Uh, I started a company while I was over in uh, the UK, it was a UK company, and one of the hurdles that all UK red team companies have to go through is CREST, uh, if you want to make money, for sure. Uh, so we'll get into that. Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience and and, and what you enjoy about red team and, and do you think it's important to know both sides, red team, blue team? Um, just give me your, your outlook on red team and why that, why that really attracted you to that, that practice. Yeah. So I think like I enjoy breaking stuff. So like going and towards my background, I came from development. So I was developing the IBM tool set back in the day. Then I was like, hey, what do I do with this skill set? And I was like, I, re I enjoy breaking things. Let me go into the offensive security realm. And exactly, you've hit the nail on the head. You need to know both sides. So I came in quite naive, looking to break things. And I was like, well, actually, how do I enhance that? And I need to learn how technology is fundamentally built and also the blue team side so that you know, I can go and bypass detections. So having that um, wealth of knowledge from both the attacker and defensive perspective is valuable. 
Yeah, super valuable. Um, one of the things that I do for new analysts, because I manage an MDR now, um, what I do for new analysts is give them uh, the access to uh, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Um, I oh, live man. by that. I live oh. by that. That's, that's my Bible. Um, and it, it so should be a know your enemy. You must become your enemy. Right. And that kind of sums up what we do as red teamers, because when we go out and, and you know, on a tangent here, but when we go out and we speak to stakeholders and they're like, Oh my God, you're going to break my stuff. And you know, blah, blah, and like, we're the good guys here. Like we're trying to help you before the real bad guys come in and extort you for however much amount. So Definitely agree. Art of War, man. Air horns for that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the soundboard. I got to get one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, just, I, I find it invaluable, uh, not just in cybersecurity, but life in general. Uh, just understanding people and understanding, you know, maybe adversaries in business or competition. Uh, it's one of those things that I think you can relate to pretty much any part of your life. Um, <clears throat> so I started out on blue teams uh, after I left the military. Um, I helped uh, build socks. Uh, at the same time, I was doing hacking, hacking and, and malware uh, creation and just doing my own thing, which kind of led me down a dark hole and uh, ended up getting into some trouble. But I think, I think as we get older, we start seeing like, the balance, right? And, and you start seeing where that talent is being redirected. And I think in our industry, a lot of kids and a lot of young people are coming in with this idea of, you know, getting to cybersecurity. But when you ask them what they want to be, what, what role they want to take, what, for you, what is the first answer you always get? How do I hack my friends, my girlfriend, <laughs> Facebook or Instagram? I hear it yep. so many times, you know, to tell you the truth, I've even had, um, investigators and lawyers contact me and said, Hey, and, and this is an example I put out there. Hey, this client of mine has sent nudes to their ex and we want the nudes deleted. Can you go and hack the guy and make sure he's removed? I'm like, seriously, like <laughs> that's, that's what I, we come, we protect like national security, right. And our economy at a scale. And then you get people saying, can you hack Facebook or Instagram? And they're like, guys, no, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, and I blame I blame most of that on the media. I think that uh, the way that the media portrays you know hackers and pen testers is way out of control. Um, they paint it to be this this rock star image, you know, the excitement, money, and and fast cars. When in reality, most of us are sitting behind a desk. You know, most of us are probably not the rock star type and just doing a nine to five job. Um, and I think a lot of people get misinformed and maybe misguided by uh, the media. Um, it's also a terminology issue, right? No, huge. So we don't, we don't call bank robbers like financial advisors. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like they call everybody a hacker. No, the people that are doing this illegally are criminals. They are criminals. So stop calling them advisors or, you know, or in hackers or whatever, you know, no, no other industry did they do that. Right. And another thing too is what I've experienced is the amount of, I want to call it cyber stalking on LinkedIn by malicious people. Right. So I had somebody from the Pakistani ISI contact me last year trying to get me to break into somebody's uh, cryptocurrency wallet. 
and then try to have uh, me hack into a bank. And I'm like, at what point do you look at my LinkedIn profile and go, I want to see if this guy will break the law for me? Yeah. You know, I, I just get so confused. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. Like the people just approach you for this stuff. Um, I haven't had that on LinkedIn. I've had it on <laughs> other sources. But OSIN on LinkedIn, I think that's a key point, right? A lot of information is exposed on LinkedIn and that is seeding the attackers to conduct these attacks. Yeah. And one of the things that I practice on LinkedIn, um, if you look at my profile, there's a lot of things that I redacted um, with ASCII characters. Uh, you might as well just... not even had a LinkedIn. <laughs> I had a look at it. I was like, there's a black <laughs> bars everywhere. Like, what emoji was that? <laughs> but see, this is also one of the things that I bring up for new people coming into the industry. We sit here and preach like, oh, but you have to network and you have to get on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and get like, you know, no, start knowing, which I agree, like we have to do this. But at the same time, we are literally going against everything that we say not to do. <laughs> like, well, in a safe way, what you put out there. Well, in a safe yeah. way, in right? a safe yeah. way, you know, I, I'm not going to disclose, you know, specific operations in the military or specific technology right. I used, you know, in intelligence. And I'm definitely not going to expose like names of companies. Right. So there, there might be a few on my LinkedIn profile that I have an actual name of a company, but the rest is redacted because, you know, OSINT is LinkedIn makes OSINT very, very easy. Well, and almost, media. yeah, <laughs> almost to a scary point. And, um, you know, I just, <clears throat> I, I try to tell people, you know, be careful what you share because you never know what's going to be used against you. Um, plus, you know, with the industry, I love our industry and it's full of great people, but there are people out there that, that wish people harm um, and wouldn't think twice about picking up a phone and calling your company, you know? So I, I try to avoid that type of situation. Uh, and also, you know, in the positions we're in, man, it, we're targets anyways. Uh, and so I, that's what I was going to say, like, especially when I, like, I use my genuine name, I know other people don't. And uh, Kim, what you said, like, we, we're practicing what we preach, but it might go, it might look like we don't do that. And it all comes down to OPSEC. So your operational right. security, what is it that you're sharing in your public profile under your legit name and everything else? If you want to keep family or everything at an arm's length, then you have a certain persona and you attach that persona to them. Uh, I've been very careful and, you know, maybe I'll challenge people to go there and do some OSINT on me. I've tried to <laughs> remove everything. If you find something, let me know. Um, yeah, I, I try to split out that persona because we are saying to people, watch what you put out there. Um, and then it may be perceived that, that we're not being as careful, but we are. Uh, and we're making sure our OPSEC is intact. Right. And I think OPSEC is like huge. And, you know, I, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I'll fail on OPSEC um, just because I get too complacent. And I think complacency in our industry and in security is the biggest killer. Um, so if you're new to the industry and you listen to this, try to stay you know, vigilant on your OPSEC. Um, nobody's going to be perfect, but do your best. Uh, so yeah, like, and I think, so, well, so I was just going to say, I think that's part of it. Like we're telling people to network, they're new to the industry. They don't quite understand what that means. And so for me, it's hard for me. Like I, I, I don't like seeing people post about their children because I know that people can use that against like, not like bad actors, right. Like can come and say, I mean, like people don't even realize like 
and again, it's, you know, what can they do with that? And it, hopefully nothing happens, but if you're newer to the industry and that's where I think it's a little, it's hard to get that, that balance. And we need to, we need to work on teaching that a little bit better. Yeah. I try to include that in all of my talks as well. So I did a talk for the Pennsylvania department of education. And one of the things I try to explain to them is the kids that have your equipment, there are ways to track those kids just by the, that equipment and what they do with that equipment. Um, photos, exit data, all that good stuff. Uh, there's so many ways to track kids. And I'm sure that, you know, man, you, you've been through that as well. Um, but I think it's important not only to share that within the industry, but when we go out and give talks to different places, always include that if you're a speaker, because it's super important because you'd be amazed how many people don't really know what's possible when it comes to tracking somebody down. So tell me about your social engineering. I, I know that's one of your hotspots. So, so tell me. What yeah, I mean, this is a good segue, right? Because we're talking <laughs> about profiles. So, yeah, I mean, you know, as a former red team lead and I've now come to a company, uh, it's a startup um, specializing in social engineering, how we provide protection at an enterprise scale. And, you know, segue on from what you were saying about individuals, the, the types of engagements are. I do name dump social engineering attacks and how I leverage humans into a product. But the key indicators are family, what you've picked up. So what is it that people, should I link that or a simple one, right? Is going on Facebook and seeing who liked a specific post, right? From those likes, you can probably see a family member. That family member will have an open profile. There's guaranteed one person that has that then reverse searching on that surname and seeing, right, who are the other family members? And you're going to find photos. Uh, I found, I found from, from a photo, I went to, I found a website and that website included medical DLs about one of the family members, right? So then you can stage a catfishing profile and saying, Hey, I have the same thing with my child. Um, can yep. you please help? And humans are naturally inclined when people ask for help to help, right? So I'm building that trust. You know, I can use, I've found their phone number already. That's, you know, public knowledge. If you, if you want to find it, I can aid that catfishing profile with a vishing attack and actually phone them and say, Hey, you know, what do you think of this? Blah, blah, blah. Gain that trust. Then bang, I can send the malware, check this document. Is this cool? and get in from, from that perspective. So social engineering is such a, a big attack vector that it, and it's difficult to remediate because people's information is so public and even at enterprise organizations, right? They have individuals that are sharing so much. And, and I've, I've heard from people outside the UK that they can laterally move from personal assets back into a corporate network because they're waiting for that day they're going to plug their device into the corporate network and bang yep. the, the attacker's on there yeah and absolutely I, and, I, and i do and you know i do think that now we're talking about uh, metaverse web3 oh that is going to oh, be yeah. a fundamental be attack vector to compromise wallets compromise accounts uh, avatars because what we're seeing at the moment where this technology is still being built, there's not enough security experts that have been assigned to do right. testing, assurance testing on these technologies. So what are actors going to do? What are scammers going to do? Bang, social engineering. The amount of Instagram um, accounts that are being compromised at the moment, and they've got automated scripts, the attackers, to be like, as soon as I compromise this right. account, I'm going to change the MFA. 
I'm going to, you know, um, log out from that person's, the legit person's asset. I've changed the password, changed MFA. How are they going to verify it? Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's, so it, it's funny you bring that up because just recently, a good friend of mine, Tom Ryan, um, also a security researcher, we've been friends for forever. Um, I got a message on Instagram saying, hey, Mike, you know, th- this is my, this okay. is my new contact information. Um, can you give me a call, you know, give me your email address, you know, I, I've lost all my contacts. So I looked at it and I thought, well, that's kind of strange because me and Tom are like really close friends, like family. <laughs> so I pick up the phone and call him. I'm like, Hey man, I think someone, you know, jacked your Instagram. And he was like, yeah, but shh, I'm trying to track him down. So we played this game back and forth <laughs> with this attack. I'm going to give him abuse over that. Cause I know Tom as well. He's getting abuse from me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he, so he and I played this game with, with the attacker and it was hilarious. I mean, we, we narrowed it down to where this guy was at. Um, and it's the same scheme. Same thing you said, he goes into the account, he got in, disabled two FA and then took over the account and locked Tom out. And, but he made a huge mistake by contacting me because immediately <laughs> I pick up the phone. So, I mean, people, there are really good social engineers out there, but a lot of them, they, don't have to be very advanced because of the fact that people are so gullible. Um, and social engineering doesn't have to be direct person to person. Uh, it can also be like my, my proof of concept with the Android malware, right? Throwing it up on AWS and advertising a free game on Reddit. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they download it and bam, you have 4,000 phones. Um, but that's the kind of thing that, that that's happening. But people only see like the visual part of it. They don't see, you know, how the actors plan, um, how you can get from one person on social media and build a picture of the entire network. So Tom Ryan also did another project called Robin Sage, um, where he created a person, this female, and befriended a ton of people. And the amount of data that he got from that operation was insane. We're talking like military officials, government officials, just a slew of people. So, I mean, social engineering, it happens every day. It happens on the phone. It happens on TV. It happens on advertising, on adverts. There's just a ton of it. Uh, and I, I like that, that your, your interest, like your special interest is social engineering. Because I think if there was a way to eliminate most of that, we would have a different threat scape. Yeah. And it's so, it's such a difficult problem to solve at the moment because you've rightly said people are so gullible. So, you can mature them up until a point and you know if you look at enterprise organization they have a lot of cybersecurity awareness but what about like my grandma my granddad like who's training them they're gonna click on things they're gonna get their bank accounts taken like it's such a difficult problem and i think there's a lot to be seen now in the prevention technologies coming forward and i'm seeing a lot of other companies in this space it's not just picnic which who now i work for a lot of other companies that are coming to this space yeah, for sure. You know, and when you look at that social engineering, um, I had a, an incident in London that was almost like an accidental social engineering experiment. I was going out to a <clears throat> Vauxhall to meet with uh, the London Met Police in their Vauxhall uh, location. And GHCQ is almost catty corner to where London Met Police is. So I see this big building, barbed wires and, and you know, the, the guard shack. And I'm thinking, okay, that must be the London Met. So I walk over, I walk in the gate, guards come up to me and I'm like, yeah, I have a meeting with an officer at like in like 10 minutes. I'm not really sure where I'm going. They were ready to move me into the building. 
And I said, this is London Met Police, right? And they're like, oh, no, this is JCQ. London Met's down the street. But at that point, they were willing to take me into the building. So, I mean, it, it happens all the time. And sometimes it's not intentional, but there are gaps. Uh, and, you know, with, with companies, they train people on phishing. They train people on vulnerability management and identification. But I don't think within most of the industry and most companies, they focus enough on social engineering aspects, uh, like people calling up to get a job and they hear the job description, get all the details of the systems, even go for an interview just to get the details they want to attack that company. Yeah. And you, you can find that in some red team engagements. That's literally one of the ways to, to get information yeah. Uh, we call it profiling. So understanding the target and you can do that. You can go on site, phone them up um, and phone up. I've got, I've got a plane going on, but um, you can phone up different operators. So like you, you yep. phone up once, get a little bit of information. Cool. Thank you. Phone up again, same place. You're going to be a different operator. Um, say, Oh, I've got this bit of information or what about this? And they'll give you more and more. And I had this on with Apple, um, not trying to, plug apple in any way but you know someone someone stole my wallet took my card to pay uh, buy some new phones and i phoned them up because my bank called me and i was like what is going on it's my my card cancel it and they're like no we can't because uh, it's on a different email address i was like this is unbelievable so anyways social engineered my way found the person's email address phone the next <laughs> operator found their phone number next operator found their address um, long story short, went to the house to my, <laughs> to my, <wife. laughs> nice. <laughs> that's, awesome. that's pretty awesome. I had a, had a incident not too long ago. A friend of mine, John Lehman sent me a uh, gift card as a donation to all the stuff that we're doing. Kind of like a gift. Uh, when I got the gift card, hadn't been opened, but when I went to go activate it, it said it had already been activated and it was empty. So I was able to track back who logged into it who they were, their location. And the guy actually went in and created an account to activate it himself with his own legit home address and phone number. So I went on to Google Maps. I found his house. I took a photo <laughs> of his house address. And I went on to social media. I found him. I sent him a message. I said, hey, look, I know your game. I've got a card that you stole. And I just want you to know that all this, all this data is being turned over to law enforcement. And all of a sudden, mysteriously, all this profile shut down. So, I mean, it's possible to get this information back and to figure it out yeah. if you it's know a, the right a, avenues. Yeah, yeah, it's an OPSEC fail on their part, right? And it, similar yeah. thing online, someone's Instagram got compromised and the phishing page, the phishing website, the attacker was, you know, low level sophistication. They didn't do any OPSEC. And on their, when you go into their website and you look onto like the web access portal, so slash admin, um, they stuck their name there for some reason and an image of like their <laughs> hacker tag. And I was like, what an idiot. So I Googled well, that. Yeah. They're not smart. Not, criminals are not always smart. That's the problem. That's so Google that, found the guy, um, you know, did some OSINT, found where he lived, found his IP and found his legit profile and his dating profile was up there. And I contacted him. <laughs> I was like, hey, like, if you don't give the account back in 24 hours, I'm exposing this whole thing. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Did, you get it Did you get Oh, yeah, you got wait, it back. Wait. Yeah, I got it back. Nice. Yeah, Tom didn't get his back. He had to open a new one. So I'm, I'm sure he's listening right now and he hates oh, what I'm man. saying about this, but. <laughs> um, 
fail. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, So red team engagements. There's a couple that, that I've done that really are the highlight of my career. What would you say would be your red team engagement that was the highlight of your red team lead career? I don't know. I'll share one. Uh, It's not the highlight, but it's one I can share. Right. And um, it was, I was, so I had, I had my target, um, did profiling. So understanding the systems, um, what assets a user was using, used a third party vendor to send a, a marketing campaign. So those of you listening, there's so many vendors out there right now who allow you to generate a marketing campaign and send some information. Use that to bypass uh, mail filters to understand what they were running when I got my profile back. Then from there, created my malware, created what email template I was going to use, um, sent that campaign. And this was specific to one user. So talking about social engineering, this is where I think my strength is, is targeting that one individual with information, which I know 100% they're going to click, right? And they did. Uh, malware, I can probably disclose now, XL4. Um, you guys have seen XL4 malware. Um, change the language. That would be a good <laughs> to bypass what they're doing, change their language. Um, and yeah, you can bypass it, compromise the asset. Um, and then went into their emails and started searching because they're going to leave stuff everywhere, right? Emails. Then I found uh, credentials in there to log into an app uh, from that app. Then I laterally moved, got into the crown jewels, and then it was kind of game over. Objective achieved. Um, didn't need to download any hashes. Uh, but yeah, that that was like a red team engagement. Another one which I can share pen test wise, this was physically on site. Um, some of the on-site ones have a physical social engineering, which we can go into, but this pen test one was a managed service provider. And the way that I got in is they had their printer with default credentials. Um, oh. So we were able to scan their see the ports open on the network uh, from the printer, downloaded the address book. So then had a list of users that I could try a password spray. So for those who don't know, password spray is you pick out the key name of the company and maybe put like a one or a two at the end and just spray that across all the uh, users that you have access to this way. You're not locking anyone out. Uh, So did the password spray, got access to uh, an account, um, then compromise the asset from the asset. And this, you'll, you'll find this uh, all the time. People leave credentials uh, sessions on different assets, right? So once, once an admin, logs into your laptop, that session is stored there. So if an attacker ever compromise that, that laptop, they can download those credentials out of that. So that's what I did, downloaded that, found a service account from that service account, uh, pivoted, laterally moved, and then gained uh, domain admin. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, one of the, the coolest pen tests I've done um, was actually recently, uh, and it was really highly centered on social engineering. Um, I did one with uh, Tony Sales and We Fight Fraud uh, for an identity company. And I can't go into too much detail because I don't know if they've released it or or not, but it had a lot to do with the way banks authorize accounts and how you had the process of actually setting up an account. 
And one of the things that we realized was it doesn't matter what the voice is saying in the video, because over in the UK, some of the banks require you to send a video. Hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I want an account with whatever bank. And we were able to deep fake some of that stuff. So it, it was a whole lot of fun. And I don't know if you know Tony, but Tony's a great guy. And when it comes to social engineering, that guy's a genius. Um, but I enjoy, I enjoyed learning from him. That, that was the first time that, that we looked at, or that I personally looked at using deep fakes in an engagement. Uh, so it worked out pretty well. It's definitely something I want to add to my arsenal at some point. However, and maybe you could, you have the answer to this. What is the remediation action? So if I deep fake um, someone to gain access and the client's like, oh my God, you got in. Like, now what do I do? Right. I'm always like thinking of what remediation actions am I going to put forward to them? So in this sense, what would you do? <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the mitigation techniques um, are, are really fairly simple, right? So the technology that, that some of these places use is they're looking for one certain key parameter in that video or that conversation, um, whether it be the, the voice, whether it be the actual, you know, the person's image. Um, but if you can deep fake that and there's, there's open source tools like deep face that you can download from GitHub that, that enables you to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, the control measures would be, you know, instead of looking for one parameter, maybe make it multiple parameters and also, you know, doing remote setup of bank accounts, right? Not only were we able to fool the system, but they actually issued a card. So it's like, you know, at what point do they actually go back and watch the videos and really scrutinize that data? Or are they just looking for, oh, we have a video, check mark, who cares what's right. in a video, but they send a video. Um, and I don't know what those control measures are because I, I'm not in that bank, but, but more than likely to me, it seems like it's either just one parameter or they're just not looking at all. Uh, in either case, it's wrong. Um, and well, one of the ways too, can you use like a third party, something like over here, we have like, I don't know if it's in the UK, but IDMe, where you have to yeah. like submit, you know, video, but like you, every single time you have to put your ID up there. So, yeah. I mean, there's still ways around that, but at least if a third party is doing it, they're going to use more parameters on that than just something else. Well, but we did a little bit more than just the, the deep fake, right? So we also had credentials and documents that were spoofed and, and created that look very legit. Uh, so even if they would have said, you know, Hey, we need to see documents, and ID. We had those, we even had passports. Mm. Um, I think one of, one of the guys even had a, uh, the border control, um, uniform that they were in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was legit too. It was pretty cool. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, there, there are ways to get around it. Um, you're not going to run into people like Tony Sales as a company every day, uh, and and if you do, you're in trouble. <laughs> so yeah, social engineering is a lot of fun. Um, I definitely think you're going to see more of those though. Oh, like, yeah. you know, deep fakes coming out now. Um, yeah, social engineering, as we've said, like it's it's on the rise. Yeah, for sure. And and deep fakes, I think, is making a rise just because of the fact that in Asia they've moved to biometric and face identification and stuff like that. Uh, so it's becoming more prevalent in the world. However, here in the US, we, we have not, you open a bank account here and there is no 
remote, let me send a video. Um, it, you have to actually go in to finalize it, what they call you. Uh, but they're like some of the smaller banks, um, like NetSpend, for instance, or some of the smaller uh, organizations in the UK don't have the staff or the money to actually create like a huge security department. And a lot of them are fly by night. You know, they want to get in quick, make a lot of money and then shut the business down. So, so other than social engineering, what would you say is, is one of your most valued part, parts of your career right now? What, what do you find the most fulfillment out of, out of all the principles that, that you work with? I think red teaming, especially like before and, and some engagements might not have social engineering um, and they're termed assume breach because you're assuming that they're going to be compromised through phishing or social engineering. So it's like, I don't want to spend a week doing that. Let me just go in the network. Um, so it's actually understanding AD, Active Directory, Windows systems and how to laterally move between them, what misconfigurations there could be. Uh, a common one is databases. So you know, you can laterally move. So people, companies have um, segmentation between their networks and they're like, hey, this network is isolated from this one. They both have databases on them. The databases communicate and you can laterally move through the database lever, uh, layer. So it's things like that, which I really enjoy. When I'm not social engineering, it's like breaking apart enterprise environments. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that, that, I love doing uh, when I first got into pen testing um, is VLAN hopping. Uh, a lot of companies think if we segment different parts of the network out with, with the VLAN, you know, we're secure, but yep. with that VLAN ID tag and the VLAN admin ID tag and, you know, a packet sniffer, I can jump from VLAN to VLAN all day long. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and, and a lot of people say, Oh, we've completely physically separated our networks and they don't talk to each other. Yes. But I'm sure yeah. your cell phone, yeah. communicates yeah. to all of them yeah yeah, yeah. so that's why I'm like do you have bluetooth wi-fi i mean what what i literally had this conversation with a friend of mine who works at a church and she she told me some scary things and she's like oh well like we're and i was like she's like don't get don't start and i was like but but you know i have to and i'm like she's like well they're not they're not the same systems and i'm like do you have bluetooth do you have wi-fi like i'm like you don't understand how easy it is now like anyway yeah, for sure yeah. <laughs> so the way that how do they how do they administer the two networks have they got two different admins sitting with like isolated devices in that zone? No, they're going to have a management console, which looks at all of these things. So as an attacker, I'd be like, right, how do they jump between this to administer legitimate functions on these networks? Let me pop that and then move laterally. Yeah, I, th I think the most successful pen test we've ever done, I went out to California to a clothing company, uh, international clothing company, and did a pen test. And they gave me a couple stores, local stores to go into and test them as well. And what I found was their cash registers and point of sale machines ran on Windows XP. Um, so I blocked that away in the back of my head <laughs> and I went back to their headquarters and uh, ran through their internal network. We got domain admin in like less than 15 minutes. Um, and with that, I was able to see all the point of sale machines across the world. And wouldn't you know it, all of them were based on XP. So I was, I had gigs and gigs of credit card um, and purchases and the the problem with that is is that with technology with 
lot, a lot of large companies, a lot of uh, merchants, they can't afford to dump a ton of money into updating technology because of the fact they're spending so much money on production and you know storefronts. So a lot of them have these out-of-date point-of-sale systems. And another one that I ran into that was really interesting about point-of-sale was there was a time when I was not such a great guy and went around smashing security cameras, uh, was able to break into <laughs> thousands of security cameras and, and controlled them for probably about a year. And you'd be surprised how many bars, restaurants, companies that would have their surveillance camera focused on their point of sale machine. So all I had to do was sit there and watch the security camera from home and just keep writing down credit card numbers. You know, it's things like that. They try to make their jobs easy and they sacrifice security in order to make it convenient. And that's always been the triangle, right? Well, I'm also going to, I'm going to give a different opinion. There is that, but one of the other things is we have not properly like informed the smaller businesses as much to how easy this is. We are not doing our job well enough. We are focused on enterprise can fix it. And even in enterprise companies, we know that there might be one red teamer if, if they're lucky, like we understand even an enterprise who has lots and lots of money, they barely do this. Okay. So you're talking about a mom and pop shop or a small bar, Mm -hmm. like, and like me talking to my friend, she's like, don't get started. I'm like, but it's easy things. Like, let me, you know, like we have to do a better job as a society and as, as people like in this community to kind of help translate that and carry it over because it isn't necessarily, you don't, okay, your point of sale stinks, but like, Hey, can we make sure like, like the little simple things, are you changing your passwords often or like doing these little things that you can do? Um, and I think that's one thing that we definitely need to work on. So yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree. Um, it's a good segue into like, what do SMBs do, small, medium businesses and like individuals, what do they do? There's all this enterprise security. And if they're getting popped, yeah, what, these guys have no chance. Like if you think about uh, the influencers now who are getting hacked for their accounts, they might be yep. churning like 10 to 100K a month. So as as an attacker, if I want, and if I've got financial motivation, I don't want to go to an enterprise or hack Swift or hack a bank. I'm like, I'm going to go to an influencer who's earning this, who's like driving Ferraris or whatever it may be, <laughs> right. because that's going to be my easy target. What do they do? And like, I'm interested to hear your guys' opinions because I've been saying this a while on Clubhouse. Like, what do they do? Is there someone that's going to build a service to help these people? And I, are they going to listen? Because one of the key things I see is, these people, you can hammer it home. You need security, but if they, if it's not bringing in money through their door, they don't want to pay for right. it. Like insurance, you know, if they yeah. didn't have to pay yeah. for insurance, they wouldn't pay for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you my take on that, um, and I do think it's getting better. Uh, not from an influencer standpoint, but um, last year, Pelion Security uh, and a good friend of mine uh, brought me into the super yachting world, uh, which security is a new thing for them. And here we are with billion-dollar super yachts going into international waters, making billions of dollars worth of transactions in, in open sea with Wi-Fi, with Bluetooth. You know, half of the control systems are connected to you know the ship's maintenance or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of vulnerabilities. But I think people are starting to wake up a little bit. Um, 
but those high money industries and, and high earners like the influencers, I think the hesitation is, am I going to have to change the way I do business? And am I going to have to spend money to protect the money that I'm making? Um, influencers, a lot of them, especially social media influencers, um, are all about the money. And I think that anything that comes with a price tag is going to be a hard sell for them. Um, but I, I, I totally agree. I think that, that influencers and individuals, like high value individuals, really need to stop and think, what is you know a couple hundred dollars or a couple grand every quarter to sit down with a pen test or a red team or someone who's knowledgeable and, and well-known to help guide me through what I'm doing and, and check my operations and say, hey, look, you might want to do this differently. Or why not hire that person? Why doesn't the influencer just hire a security person like a, a red team or whatever? Bring them on and say, hey, look, I do influencing. I do videos. I like to spend money. I don't want to worry about this shit. So why don't you do that for me? And we haven't yeah, seen like that yet. I this. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, you're putting the concept out there right now. <laughs> Are you starting a business in this? <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> let's let's well, do my, it. One of the things that I'm doing currently is I'm building a prison bus that's going to be a security operation center from the inside. And I want to take it around because I feel like we always talk into a vacuum. Like the influencers aren't necessarily listening to cybersecurity podcasts, right? They're doing their own damn thing, which is great. Like, hey, hurrah, like that's awesome. But until we can get in front of people and I, I want to like make sure, like I want to take it to elementary schools and show them simple things and then a, a middle school and let them do, and then maybe take it to a high school and let Mike hack into some stuff and like show both the teachers and the parents and the students like, Hey, this is how easy it is from a bus that I built myself, right? Like, so I want you to see, like that way when you see it in person and like right there, like that's one of those things. But I also want to get out there, like talking to everybody about it. Like I said, it, when I go to a dinner or a bar or whatever, I'm like, I like, I was at a bar the other day and I, these guys walked in, they, they did website design on the side. And I said, you know what you can do for me? I said, help me save the world. I said, I want you to do one simple thing. I'm not asking anything from you. I said, I want you to start talking cybersecurity, simple things with your customers, give them a value add for free. Say, look, I want you to start changing your passwords more often. That one simple thing can help save you from potentially being hacked. This is part of all of us. This is something that we can all do. And it sometimes, yes, you know, we have so many people that have free resources. We don't have the what, I mean, we'll call it ethics, right? Like we're not teaching moral guidelines, right? So the parents aren't like necessarily paying attention. They find this really cool stuff. I want to break into it. There's all these kids that are not getting guided and they're not being aware. So they're going to break into a hundred small and pop. Yeah. See, small and pop, your mom and pop shops. They're not necessarily going after the banks, but if they get away with it enough, they're going to like, how do we prevent this? So I'm going to physically go out there and like, drive around the freaking country once I'm done. And that's what I want to do. Like, I mean, we're, I want to go to the rural side, you know, countrysides because those people get bored if they have internet, like how do we get them into it on a safe side, inner city, get them gangs are gangs are going and targeting children. Let's make sure they know that like the parents yeah. know that we have to be more proactive and, and talking into a vacuum to me, isn't working. Well, as an industry, we, we do a lot of, speaking engagements to ourselves 
Yep. Um, you know, <laughs> I try to encourage you know public speakers in cybersecurity. Don't focus on cybersecurity industry. Go speak to the police department. Go speak to a teacher conference. You know, go to a school. You know, because those are the people that need it. We we know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. You know, share it with somebody who can actually use it and protect themselves. That is really but, insightful. That, but that you, is really good. But this is yeah. this is the hurdle right here. It's the money. Yep. Because they would they would rather make the money on going to a school and saying, Hey, I'm cybersecurity, I'm an influencer, let me test your shit. And here's what it costs. I'm totally against that. If if I go to law enforcement or schools, and even my talks that I give to law enforcement schools are free. I don't charge for that. Uh, and we shouldn't. But I think as an industry, there's a lot of places that we could be better. We could do better. Um, and I do, I will say that I do think that like Hollywood is trying. I do see that in, you know, current shows, like I'll watch stuff like a stream or whatever. And, you know, I have a you know, couple of friends will recommend shows and I'll see like, oh, they're showing a breach online. Like granted, it's like next thing you know, like there's the FBI in the hospital and you're like, we know that's not like legit, but, but then you have the news talking about it more. They're talking about swatting. Netflix has got, uh, a, like I just saw, like I don't normally watch Netflix, but I have it where I'm at right now. And so, but yeah, they're talking about all the different things that are happening. So people are trying, but are they tuning in? Are we doing a good job getting them to like, look at that stuff again? If we're in front of people, people don't believe it until they see it. Yeah. yeah. So, so man, what is your, your passion in cybersecurity? It, you know, is it the technical side? Is it people? Is it helping people? You, you have know? to have that balance. Yeah. Now, you have to have that balance so that, you know, I wouldn't have started clubhouse and I wouldn't have started the YouTube series if I, if I didn't have the communication aspect and just like yourself, I not at, you know, the schools and stuff, but I speak at universities, central banking. Mm -hmm. I do like sharing my knowledge. That's one of my key passions is not just sitting in a silo with all this technical knowledge, but how do you share that with the world? And exactly what Kim was saying, like we're, we're trying to make a difference. And this is exactly what I'm trying to do. And, and my passion is getting as much knowledge across in as many ways as I can while still remaining sane because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still technical. I'm still like, uh, I mean, I'm director of a team at the moment, um, working on social engineering, still trying to keep uh, technical, but also how do we uh, monetize that and give value to people and enterprises? And then on the side is all the content stuff you see, which I give out for free. Same with Clubhouse, like people joining in the industry, giving them knowledge to scale up because there is a skills gap. Um, and I don't want them to feel, especially in cybersecurity, and I, I don't think it gets said enough, that you can have burnout so quickly oh, because yeah. there's so much information, there's so many courses, so much competition or expectation to learn as much as you can that people don't take a step back and say, right, let me just enjoy time with my family. Right, and that's why right. things like I've done things like Clubhouse to say, you know, there is a balance and showing that information and showing that the industry is not just here sitting at a computer. And this is where the communication comes in. So it, yeah. going back to your question, it comes to communication, the technical knowledge and just sharing value. Yeah. I, I feel like giving back is the only way to keep what we have. Um, I come from a, from a, a mindset of in order to better myself and, and maintain what I have, I have to give it away because the more I give it away, the more it refreshes my mind and I retain that information and it helps somebody else. And I realize we have crossed paths 
on Tom Ryan's clubhouse. I spoke on that on that uh, clubhouse meeting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So we have crossed paths. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Give, giving back is is a big thing for me, but also um, just you know helping people out. You know, yeah. giving back to community, uh, giving people chances and breaks. I think is really important. Um, but did, I, I, I've got a question for you, right? Sure. How did you go from like your malicious intense to turning into the good side? It was influenced highly by facing a number of years in prison. Um, and so I decided to be an informant for the FBI for a while so, so that I could clear that debt, um, which I thought I did. And then I ended up in the UK where the US revoked my passport and I started giving back there and giving you know talks and, and reaching out to people and helping kids there. And I still do it. I'm still very active with uh, the National Crime Agency and probation over in the UK, helping mentor you know, former offenders. Uh, but to me, that, that, that is fulfillment on my side, right? That, that is for me, that, that part is strictly for me. Um, because giving to them and helping them makes me feel better about myself as well as makes everything worth it to see somebody else succeed. And I think yeah. that's a true, I think that's a true definition of success. Um, at some point in my life, I quit measuring my success based on what I've done. And I started measuring on what I've enabled other people to do and what I've helped other people do. And I think that is really the true meaning of success. And I think if more people realize that, that our industry would be a totally different place to be. That is inspirational you should like clip that <laughs> put some captions around it man that is awesome i you know i would love to get to a place where i could devote a lot more time into judging success and giving back um in that way that the biggest challenge i face at the moment is trying to do it all um right, yeah. trying trying to be technical trying to lead the team trying to remain relevant in the industry because again like technology is changing so being able to upskill and learn new things being able to do that and then doing the content uh, yeah i'm like battling between all these things i'm juggling and if one I'm week you. i'm doing more content one week i'm doing less this <clears throat> i wish mine was one week i was doing this one week i was doing this but <laughs> mine's i do that shit every day and it's like a lot <laughs> yeah. um so on that same tone on that same topic um what do you do to balance yourself my like grounding is going to the gym in the gotcha. morning so five o'clock i'll get up um i can say it. i've got kids you know i'm sure other people have uh nothing to hide about that uh, so i get up before they're awake um and then i go and ground myself at the gym um and then i feel refreshed and i'm ready and i've obviously at that point probably had pre-workout so i'm caffeinated up so when i come <laughs> back i like by right. seven seven thirty eight um i'm ready to like kill the day i start work around nine nine thirty so i've i've already like you know, spent time with my kids in the morning, done my gym for me to keep me sane, um, and then started to prepare. Because what what I, how I manage it all is to really plan my day, and I do that before I actually start work. So what are the things I want to achieve, uh, maybe for the week, or like what are the key things I need to do for that day? 
then I start work and then, you know, lunch and, and I need to get out. So, you know, yeah. one of my hobbies is gym and just doing walks. And then in the evening, it will be like content. And I do find that if I haven't gone to the gym in the morning, just to ground myself, that my whole day is out of whack. Yeah. During the pandemic, one of the things that I did uh, in lockdown in London was go to Waltham Abbey's park and walk every day. And that's where I picked up walking. But I'm going to call you out on something, man. So I was on a, on a clubhouse, <laughs> clubhouse meeting and you were on the meeting from the gym. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is a good, that is a good. So what I do sometimes is when I haven't done my steps in the afternoon, I have to go to the gym in the evening and do my walk. Yeah. So I, I hit 13,000 steps a day. I have to. Yeah. Because I sit at this desk <laughs> and I'll probably stay here the whole day. So I'm like, hey, at lunchtime, I need to get out. But if I don't, then I, I'm like, hey, man, I've missed my steps for the day. Don't feel good. And I would do it in like things like Clubhouse, right? <laughs> I do it in the evening. Yeah, I remember a couple, couple of the, uh, a couple of the talks we had, meetings on Clubhouse, and you were calling from the gym. And I was like, man, this dude is like a gym rat, like religiously. Um, so some so of that was my that used second, to be, second and I workout can tell that I'm not now. Really, the second second workout. Yeah, yeah so it's the second workout, right? So I wow. do my first workout in the morning, which is like my weights and grounding. I do, I wouldn't say yoga, but more stretching and stretching. really trying to engage uh, while the world is asleep. Mm-hmm. And then my second workout is my steps. So we're gotcha. walking around. You know, I don't really want to go uh, like. 11 o'clock at night on the street because I can't see shit around here. So I go to the gym and then just go on a treadmill and walk. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of places in London to actually do a lot of really cool walking. Um, and that's where I got kind of grounded um, and learned, started learning balance was while I was in the UK. And one of the things that I realized is that physical exercise does help um, a lot because it releases endorphins and those endorphins relax you and, and really get you focused. Um, so the physical aspect of it, I think is really important. Um, and on another, another note, how I balance myself as well and maintain, you know, being social is this having people on the podcast and, you know, meeting new people and learning about them. And I always learn something for myself every time I interview somebody, but I think that social aspect is really important because through the pandemic, we've lost some of that social ability, I think, um, because we've been isolated for so long. And I think it's important to, to see faces and actually have a conversation. Um, yeah. You know, working from home 24 seven, I don't, I don't get a lot of that. So I rely on you people to help me with the podcast and that social yeah. interaction. Uh, so where do you see yourself, man, in the next five, 10 years? That is a really good question. So <laughs> I want to, and going on this topic about giving value, I want to take my knowledge and share it further, whether that's creating a book or a course or something to the masses. I want to do more speaking events. I've got inspiration for you to do schools. I already thought about doing more universities, but really giving that knowledge back. Um, In terms of like a technical base, I reckon I'll still keep on track with like new things that are coming out, but I'm really not that focused on, you know, building out a whole portfolio of certs, which I, which I already have, but I don't feel like I need to extend that any further. I think what you're doing and you're volunteering, maybe something towards that, you know, really sharing that value and giving back. Um, Cause what, and, and this is what seeded me 
to this point where I'm giving value is five, maybe about seven years ago, right? I had a really bad experience with unsupportive managers in a workplace. So InfoSec at that time, for me, it was like, no one wants to tell you anything. You're really competing with your peers. They don't want to share anything with you. And it was lonely. It was like, I'm Googling things, but I don't know if this makes sense because you don't know what you don't know. And I always said to myself, if I ever got to a point where I could hear my voice or share my voice, I would inspire the next generation. So that is what seeded Clubhouse, what seeded the YouTube channel. Um, and again, like I don't, I don't really care about the money. Tom always takes a piss out of me that the UK doesn't pay well, right? And I'm like, I'm not here for the money. I'm here for the value, right? If I can leave a legacy, right, for the people that I've inspired and also my children as well, that is the ultimate. Yeah, and that's another purpose for the podcast too, is leaving that legacy because I bring on people, a mix of people, right? But a good majority of them are people who've been there since the inception of cybersecurity, like Chris Roberts. He and I have been friends for a long time. And old guard, you know, we've been around the industry forever. And I think it's important to interview people like that, talk to people like that, to leave that legacy. And so the videos and the podcast kind of serve as that. But let me help you fast track that, um, that wanting to, to give back. And let me introduce you to uh, one of my friends at Westminster University, Chi, uh, who's a lecturer and just phenomenal. Um, oh, he's, one, amazing. he's the one who brought me into Westminster. And I've done... I think three talks now for Westminster uh, and it's an excellent group of people and I think you'll enjoy it. So I'll introduce you to him after the podcast. I'll send you a link. Um, but yeah, I, I like that idea and I'm to the point in my career now and in my life where I don't look, when someone asks me, what do you want to do 10 years? Where are you going to be 10 years from now? I don't say oh, I'm going to ma manage this. Or I want to be a CEO or CISO. No, I, I'm, I'm where you're at. I, I think that I'm fulfilled where I'm at. And I enjoy what I do. And I think it's just time to give that back to somebody else. And so that yeah. when people ask me, what are you going to do? I just tell them I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing because it has a lot of value. So oh, and that, I think we should amazing. start, we should start telling everybody because I've had people say, I'm not there yet. I'm not a mentor. I'm not this. And I'm like, if you're one day ahead of somebody else, you're a mentor. Like yeah. you can you always give back. Yeah, you don't you don't have to be ahead of anybody to be a mentor. Well, that's true. Yeah, some of the but best. I mean, yeah, some of the best lessons I've learned, and some of the the coolest pieces of information, and like let's say technical ability, I've learned from people who have gotten into the industry freshly because it's a fresh set of eyes right. with a different perspective that I don't have because you know twenty something years in the industry, you get kind of I don't want to say stuck in your ways, but you're set. Yeah. Well, and your, your routine set. But when you bring in a younger set of eyes and, and someone really vibrant, excited to be in the industry, I learn a lot from them. I think it's really think cool. You're old, Mike. I'm just kidding. I'm very old. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So along that same line, man, um, what would you say is your biggest pet peeve about the industry? And my cat's chiming in too as well. <laughs> Honestly, I would say that a lot of the security testing that needs to be done is enforced by regulators and legislation. If there was a world where regulators and legislation wasn't there, people wouldn't get their stuff tested. And 
it goes back to that whole insurance kind of if if no one told you to get insurance you wouldn't do it and you see the same for enterprises as well they're doing this pen test or this red team to check a box right it's not because they're trying to be proactive and actually secure them and then they wonder why they get popped right why uh, apts come and hit them with ransomware so i would say that it's it's really honing down on being proactive about your security I don't like when I hear that companies have assigned a ransomware budget. Yes. Because to me, that's like, well, you're you're hoping that and yeah, <laughs> look at Kim's face. Yeah, I've I've yeah. been there and I've heard that, yeah, don't worry about this. We've got a ransomware budget. And I'm like, seriously? Like you don't want to do your testing to assure what you've got is secure? No, 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 don't worry. If we get popped that day, don't we've got a budget. You gotta pay. pay <laughs> yeah, we, we got it there, sitting there. And, um, and to tell you the truth, the, the issue with that. And I totally feel, feel you on this. And this is my passion too, is that I've gone into incident response and dealt with cybersecurity insurance as well as the companies. And when the first question out of the company's mouth and the insurance company is how much is the ransom, that to me is a failure yeah. because it's every- driving their industry. Well, every, every incident response that we did last year as a company, we got all of our clients out of the issue without having to pay a ransom. So how much the ransom is, is irrelevant. And yeah. I actually actually heard an IR company um, that we were working in tandem with at one point, got on the phone and said, okay, so the last communication with the threat actor, um, the ransom was this. However, it's now five o'clock where they're at. So they're off work and we won't be able to contact them until, you know, <laughs> The, the next business day. And to me, that, that really paints the picture of ransomware has been so successful. They're building companies around these operations and not just small companies, but large companies. And, and another thing, they've got ransomware negotiators. Yes. This is absolutely ridiculous. Customer and, support. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's one but, thing I try to get out to like the general public when I'm talking to them too. I'm like, you guys realize like, you know, you go buy Norton antivirus or whatever. I'm like, the bad guys now have that same platform for them to just go click, click. So it can be anybody. Like, they don't have to know what they're doing anymore. And well, it, yeah. it's, and we, it's bad. We test our malware that we create on those platforms before yeah, we exactly. ship it out. Exactly. <laughs> just, yeah, right. You know, uh, and that's why, you know, when I mentioned about the, the red team engagement, why system profiling or profiling is so important because you understand what EDR products they're using and you'll build a, a separate environment exactly like that and make sure that's your malware is bypassing that. Um, and yeah, I just, I just don't understand why we can't be proactive about security why do we need to do it because it checks a box and have you met humans <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but this this then seeds down to uh small businesses and consumers so you know we talked about how do we protect them um and th it's the whole problem with the industry is what i'm seeing is we something needs to be done to say before you have a computer, you need to make sure you've done this. Like before you get on the road, you need a road, well, in the UK, you need a road tax, road you need an MOT, right? You you need to make sure you have car insurance. If you don't have car insurance, you can't drive. Um, so yeah. something along those lines. I think there should be a test. So in the US, when you buy a gun, you have to go through a background check, which they used to make you wait seven days 
to buy the gun after you after you go in. And I think that it should be the same way with computers. You go to buy so a I was computer. Just, I was laughing about that. You, <laughs> you go into like PC World or Curry's. I don't know if you guys have that there. Curry's. <laughs> or at Walmart, right? You go in there and like, yes, we need this done. You need to. <laughs> and that's the way it should be. I think that, you know, in order to get onto the internet and get a connection, I think you should have some sort of cybersecurity awareness that the ISP forces you to go through before you can hit connect, before they actually, you know, start up your service. Because I think it's important, you know, not only will it protect that person, but also the assets of the ISP. Um, but, you know, seeing people do that and, and, you know, putting that into some sort of implementation is, you know, a pipe dream because it's all about money. The bottom line, yeah. every yeah. issue that we have in cybersecurity is money. And you hit so it right I, on the head. Think, I, I do think if it was, and I don't know, the education system and if they do this i'm guessing they do was more education for those individuals learning about computers or social media because if they learn that from an early age those practices are going to stay with them so we might see that evolution shift between the next generation or the younger generation coming out that they naturally are going to be more concerned about security right the well, problem is in the u.s go ahead oh, go ahead no, I was going to say like here in the U.S., it depends on if you're in a city and you have computers or if you're in a rural area and you, you're not really, you know, maybe they don't have as many computers and or whether or not like if your entire town isn't really a cybersecurity town, <laughs> it's not really going to promote it. You know, so. And the schools don't teach it. The, school, the schools absolutely fail when it comes to understanding cybersecurity and conveying it to students ages you know from from let's say sixth grade down because i think that that's where it should start and we should focus yeah. there but they don't do that um and half the teachers really don't know the threats that exist and stuff like that i did a uh, an interview with the bbc a couple weeks ago on advert advert fraud uh digital advert fraud it was on the bbc world service news hour i think um, and one of the things that, that we talked about in our discussion was that, was, you know, being able to educate people and, and at what age and, you know, what goes on. Because really, the kids nowadays um, are really getting into hacking and cybersecurity at a very early age because of gaming. Um, you know, I did a documentary on that, you know, late last year for Hacker Hunted. Uh, that episode will be coming out sometime soon. I don't know. Um, but it was about gaming and about kids and how organized crime groups and, and hacking groups groom kids on online gaming to become hackers and, and to work for them and carry out different types of attacks. So I think that, you know, the ages that we really need to focus is probably 12 and under, um, honestly, to give them that, that seed and it needs to progress and, and continue throughout their education. But the problem with the U S is that our education system is nowhere near the UK's education system. Um, I was really impressed by the amount of talent uh, that came out of the different schools at such a young age uh, in the UK. Um, but yeah, like I think that we have a long way to go. And I think my pet peeve currently, I have a few, but I think currently my pet peeve is the fact that as an industry and as speakers, we don't do enough outside of our industry. Um, and, and we rely on, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. I, I used to be the same way going to give talks and oh look how smart i am and look what i know to the wrong people 
Those people yeah, don't give a shit. That's, that's me. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, that's okay. You go, you're both invited to like hack into stuff from my prison bus for me and show off to all the kids and cops and whoever else I can. I don't know, know though, Kim, because learning. your idea of electrifying bars inside the bus to help amplify a signal <laughs> is kind of scary. Like I, I'm not, hey, I'm not okay with that. I'm learning. Hey, what are you? Hey, I just, I, I have creative mind visions, you know. <laughs> You're really hitting that supply and demand. Go and hack them, and then be like, hey, <laughs> hey we can stop now. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I, I really like your idea of um, super yacht protection, right? <laughs> it, it works. It works. So. If, if you get, if you're interested in that industry, which to be honest with you, there's room for cybersecurity practitioners in that industry because there's not many. Um, I can hook you up with Peleon Consulting and push you that direction. As a matter of fact, last year in December, um, I was invited to go to the American Virgin Islands to go give a talk on board a super yacht uh, during a super yacht conference for a week. Wow. And unfortunately, I couldn't go because at the last minute, they made it <laughs> vaccination only and I didn't have vaccination, so I couldn't go. Um, but it's it's a really cool industry. And I think you really enjoy the technology. It's different technology. It kind of reflects, it, it resembles, I shouldn't say reflects, it resembles the technology and the stuff that they use within industrial systems because you have you know, your yeah. sh ship engine yeah. and all that stuff. So you get it. Well, we're at the end of our hour, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, this podcast has screamed by because it was so nice talking to you, man. It, like, once I connected <laughs> who you were, I was like, I know this guy. Okay, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been really interesting, and it's been a pleasure, and it's been an honor to have you on the show, and I really appreciate that. No, honestly, thank you, you know, for having me. Um, I've I've enjoyed it just as much as you have, right? You've inspired me. I love the fact that you're doing these talks and you're doing it at schools and stuff. So definitely I'm taking stuff away from it. Uh, appreciate for you guys hosting me and uh, your time here. And thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, any absolutely. last words? It's great to have you. Any last words for the listeners? Whatever you want to do in life, try harder, right? <laughs> Actually, we can cut that. <laughs> No, I like that actually. I like that. I like that. Because complacency because, is one of my biggest pet yeah, Because and and I'll say why, because I and I studied for a cert, OSCP, those might know it. But one of the key things I took away from there, which has impacted me for the rest of my life, is the try harder mantra. Like you were trying to hack boxes and you couldn't get through. And you would go to the admins for support and they would be like, try harder, try harder. So <laughs> everything I do. I'm like, try harder now. If I want to go record a podcast and don't feel like it, I'm like, in myself, I'm like, fuck it, try harder. Go and go and do it. Like, <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. Failure is not an option. Go and do it. Like, yeah. So I'll say try harder. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. And uh, I'm sure that you'll be getting some uh, communication from me to get back on the show at some point, uh, probably pretty soon. Uh, maybe, we'll do, <laughs> maybe we'll do a, a podcast with you and Tom Ryan soon. I think yeah, that would be awesome. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Well, you guys have a, a great weekend and uh, tell all my friends and family over in the UK. I miss them. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good day. I'll, I'll end on some air horns. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Bro. Thank you. Bye. <clears throat>